0: This is Episode 7 of the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast with Keisha King.
1: So you do all these different movements, um, wiggle your eyebrows, wiggle your fingers, like I would incorporate some sensory stuff, so like squeeze your fists, um, take a deep breath, uh, brush your legs, um, all those kinds of things. And I noticed that when I did it with my kiddos at the beginning of a session, they were much more focused, engaged, um, just all of those things. They were they were just doing better throughout the session than if I hadn't done that intervention. Um, and I just thought that was really interesting, you know. So I was wondering, you know, like, is it the movements? Is it the rhythm? Is it something else? Like, what is it? So... I was interested in that, and then when I had the opportunity to do this study, I was like, well, I might as well do that and think about how do these motor movements, how do the, does the rhythm kind of in- work, and is it actually having an effect, or am I just thinking that it has an effect?
0: You're listening to The Music Therapy Chronicles, podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Kayati, and I am a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles Podcast. In this episode, I talked to Keisha King about her current graduate research studies and what she found, which is pretty cool, she did a study on inclusion and a study on rhythmic motor movements and their effect on the brain. And I think that, Uh, As a clinician, once you hear this information, you'll definitely want to integrate it more. We also talk about using music therapy in uh, generalized settings and how to encourage other professionals to use music therapy uh, in their daily interactions with our clients and how that can benefit them. And we talk about Adams Camp a bit, which if you haven't heard of Adams Camp, it's this great five-day experience where five therapists work with five clients in community settings to do therapy and achieve various goals. And it's run in the summer in some different locations. So Keisha's experience with that is phenomenal. And I hope you enjoy hearing about some of the things she did, some of the things she experienced as the therapist working with other therapists and just the beautiful transitions, changes, growth that happens when you're able to work with a client that closely for even such a short period of time. If you like what you hear on this episode, then please leave us a review on iTunes. The reviews help this podcast be more visible so more people can find it, hear it, join the conversation. Also, feel free to join our Facebook group. Just click join group and I will accept you uh, and have that be a space where you can also continue the conversation about these episodes, what your thoughts are, people you want to have on the podcast, anything like that. And finally, if you or someone you know is interested in being on the podcast, please send an email to feedback at musictherapychronicles.com. I'd love to have a long list of guests ready to go so more of these conversations can be put out into the ethers and we can all learn from each other. So without further ado, let's get into this episode with Keisha. Keisha Welcome to the podcast, Keisha. Hi.
1: Happy to be here.
0: Thanks. Thank you for um, making the time to be here with us. I know you had a hectic day with the (laughs) end of the school year and everything. Yes, definitely. Awesome. Yeah. So um, to start us off today, can you tell us a little bit about yourself outside of music therapy or outside of um, your music therapy professional self?
1: Sure. So um, I what is there about me outside of music therapy? I get that a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I mean, I know you know that I'm a grad student, so right Mm. now it's kind of like my whole world is music therapy, but um, I am engaged to my fiancé. We've been together for almost 10 years.
0: Congratulations.
1: Yeah, thank you. We're getting married next year, so um, that's my other main focus. I love to be creative. I love um you know hair makeup all beauty stuff I'm a super girly girl I I love being a musician and making music that's really that's really it
0: (laughs) awesome so how did you or when did you find out that music therapy was your calling and how did you get into it and what is your journey from then to now
1: So um, it's kind of a funny story. Well, I think it's funny. Um, I didn't hear about music therapy until I was already a senior in high school. So, you know, growing up in small town, New Hampshire, I think when I went to college, there was like 15 music therapists in the whole state. Um, And we've doubled that, you know, uh, in the past, what, eight years since I've, I started my journey. So that's great. But I I had never heard of it. I'd never seen anything about it. So, I was determined. Okay, I'm not going to be a music teacher. I'm going to go to school for something else. I'd performed my whole life. I loved music. Everything I did was music, but I wasn't going to be a music teacher. I was going to go and I was going to pursue political science of all things. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah, so I wrote my college essay and I literally wrote my essay about basically the reasons that I couldn't be a musician and I couldn't pursue music. And it was kind of like a rationale of, well, I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't do that. So I submitted it to my, my English teacher who was, you know, helping me with all of this stuff. And she was like, you cannot submit this to anybody Like they're not, they don't want to hear about why you can't do this thing and you have to pursue this other thing that you're way less passionate about. And that kind of sent me into a bit of a spiral. And I went to my voice lesson that same day and I talked to my voice teacher and she, she was like, well, if you don't want to be a music teacher, then why don't you just be a music therapist? And I was like, a what? I'm sorry. (laughs) Say that again. A what? So that very night um, I went back home. I looked up what music therapy was. I watched a few videos. I applied to college um, for music therapy and the rest is history, I guess. So it was really like, you know, as soon as I saw a video of music therapy, I was like, yes, this is the thing. Like, this is what I've wanted Because I just knew I didn't want to be a teacher. I didn't want to be in music ed. um, And I wanted to do music. And when I saw music therapy, I was like, this is the thing. Like, this is the thing I have to do. So, and we've been soulmates ever since. So,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Did you tell your fiance first or did he have to figure it out?
1: (laughs) He knows that it it really goes like music, Wesley, and, and then like, you know, other things. But yeah unfortunately he's known since the beginning that music is my uh true my true first love Mm -hmm. so and always will be and music therapy is so closely tied with music now that it it all kind of rolls into one so
0: yeah Yeah. and you on top of going to grad school you um your caseload is pretty jam-packed and you also do still perform right
1: yes I still perform um my sister and I have just started gigging and uh, gigging at local restaurants in the area, And that's really how we started in music with that as small children, we started performing. And my first paid performance was when I was in fourth grade. And wow. we got a hundred dollars an hour and we had to split that. And I'm sad to say that we're not making that much more. yeah <laughs> um, gigging as she ha- also has a master's degree. I'm so close to having mine. Like, so we're like these highly trained musicians and we're making the same amount of money as we were as when we were in elementary school. But it's really for the fun of it that we do it. So but it's really it's fun to like get out there and hear people clap for you.
0: And yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah, I could. um, I was never into like the performance stuff, but I marched drum corps for many years And, um, now being away from all that, I miss it. Like I'm not super a solo performer, but I do miss being in a group performing and like experiencing music on an emotional level for yourself.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think that's what it is for me is that I'm the leader of the band every single day, all day long. And, you know, sometimes it's just kind of like, I need to do something for me. So that's kind of where it all starts started for us and I never really liked group performances Um, I wanted to love being in chorus I loved the friends I had through chorus but I didn't love the experience of chorus Um, so but my sister and I are both hard workers and we're both professional musicians so it's easy to work together because I know she's going to do her stuff and I'm going to do my stuff and I and I can't be disappointed in her <laughs> because she's my little sister. Yeah. So it's a stress-free way to kind of help both of us get in touch with what we really started out loving about music. So
0: good for yeah. you. That's beautiful that you're yeah. both still able to share that and make time for it.
1: Yeah. Well, and you know, it's so funny. Like we're only a year and a half apart. My sister, actually today's her birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday. And... We've always just been so in tune with each other when we sing that it's so easy. It's like making music with myself. Like there's there's really minimal effort that I put into it, so it it really makes it super enjoyable, which is great. So
0: that's awesome. Do you have um, like any social media handles or something you want to plug for the two of you? Yes, go for we it. We
1: are the King Sisters. Um, so we're the King Sisters on Instagram and on Facebook, and we're trying to post videos pretty regularly. Um, yeah, so check it out. We and we're going to be uploading our our gigging schedule very soon. So yeah,
0: awesome. we'll keep an eye out for that. All yes, of those. Yeah, definitely. All right, yeah. so let's kind of circle back. Um, sure. You're getting your degree, your master's yep. degree, mm-hmm. uh, and you're doing it online, correct? Yes. Yep. I'm... What is that like? <laughs> I think that's what a lot of us do. It, a lot of MTs. Yes. So
1: yeah, it's like awesome. Kind of. I don't want to say terrible, but it's really stressful. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I never realized like how. So my online program is through Colorado State. And it's a big place. There's a lot of people. I went to Anna Maria down in Worcester. Um, and it was like the size of a postage stamp. So everybody knew everyone. I knew everybody in the registrar's office. I could just walk into financial aid. It is so difficult to do anything at Colorado State because I can't just walk to their office, you know. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm not looking for things in the right place or, you know, that kind of stuff. So the technical aspect of it is challenging, but my coursework has been phenomenal I've loved all of my professors um all of the students have been great as well so all of that part is really awesome and really easy it's kind of like all the business and logistical part of things that is really can be a challenge because you're not in there in the flesh to kind of deal with all these issues that might arise yeah
0: so um you're you're a very driven person you're a very busy person so yeah you know, doing a course online you have to really have your own schedule right and mm-hmm. make the time first of all around your life but yeah. also you're not you don't have a scheduled class time twice a week for an hour and a half it, Like it's very different so do you have any advice for someone who's thinking about doing their degree online and how to manage all that
1: um I would say, don't do what I do. Don't procrastinate. <laughs> it's so hard because I'm like, oh, well, I have four more days. Like, you know, or, or it's a week law. away. Right, exactly. It's just like, it's like, oh well, it's so far away. It's fine. I'll just do it later. What I always try to do um, is whenever, like, some of the classes run on different schedules. So whatever's the first day of the week for your class, log on. Make sure that you know what you have to do for that week. Make sure that you're kind of prepared for what's coming up in the next few weeks, so that it's not like, oh, shoot, my literature review is done is supposed to be due this week, and I haven't done anything. You know, so it's kind of like make sure that you know what's coming up and what you have to do, so then you can maybe try to chip away at things. Um, but for me, what mostly happened was that I would do that, and then a lot of the work would happen on the weekends, you know, so either Saturday or Sunday, all day, I would just kind of like focus on grad school, you know, so it would take me six or seven hours, um, sometimes even longer, but I would just have to, you know, bang it out all in one day, because I mean, as you know, I'm with my work schedule, I'm working from 830 in the morning until up until very recently, seven o'clock at night. Yeah. And that was just the hours that I was gone from home. So then it's like I have to come home and I have to make dinner and I have to like sleep and eat and shower and take care of myself. So I just didn't have time. Um, Yeah, so that's what I would recommend is try to break it down. Um, But if not, then just try to devote a day to all of your work and get as much done as you can. So, Yeah. yeah, that's how I've done it
0: kudos to everyone out there who either has or is currently doing that balancing full-time work and going back to school because I can't imagine oh (laughs) me neither and then
1: I think about like the the people who have kids who try to do this oh gosh (laughs) yeah like oh my god how do you find the time like it's ridiculous so yeah yeah, definitely kudos to everybody who's doing it
0: (laughs) keep fighting the good fight so yes uh in your your uh wow brain brain block. In your degree, you this past semester, past year, you did a research study and an independent study, or is there a different terminology? But you did two, correct? Yes.
1: Yeah. Well, so I've actually done three in the past year. Oh wow! Because apparently I'm insane. But <laughs> so last spring I did a small study about music therapists collaborating with speech-language um, pathologists, which was really interesting. And that was kind of like an online survey, um, qualitative, uh, it was mixed-methods study. Um, and that was really interesting. And it was kind of, you know, it was basic. It was kind of the first thing I'd ever done like that. And it was like, do music therapists and speech-language pathologists work together? And if they do, how does that go? Um, and it actually goes pretty well in um, at least in my experience and sometimes there's some tricky things to navigate but that's really it so I did that one last spring and then this spring semester I did a an independent study on music therapy and its role in inclusion and I also did a research study on the effects of rhythmic motor movements on cognition and executive functioning which was um, basically the coolest thing ever and it was just really awesome and yeah I like I was so invigorated by doing the actual research and doing like the active the active part you know of, like sitting down with people and doing the control and the intervention and then seeing their results and then you know like quantifying all those numbers I was just like oh my gosh this is amazing like, I want to do this all the time. So yeah, it's really cool.
0: So um, walk us through that, how the research study went, what you did, the interventions you sure. used, all of it, because um, sure. we talked about it briefly, and it's it's pretty, yes. pretty cool stuff that you found.
1: Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. So, so I kind of got interested in this topic, because um, in the fall, I'd heard this really cute song by um, Stephanie Level. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with her. She runs the uh, like Music for Kiddos website yeah. and Facebook page. And she had this really cute song and she called it a seated movement song. And I was like, a oh, what? A seated movement song? So it it's really simple, it goes like this. Move to the beat, yeah, we move to the beat. We move to the beat, uh-huh, we move to the beat. And then we do like, clap your hands to the beat, clap your hands to the beat, et cetera, et cetera. So you do all these different movements um, wiggle your eyebrows, wiggle your fingers. Like I would incorporate some sensory stuff. So like squeeze your fists, um, take a deep breath, uh, brush your legs, um, all those kinds of things. And I noticed that when I did it with my kiddos at the beginning of a session, they were much more focused, engaged. Um, just all of those things. They were, they were just doing better throughout the session than if i hadn't done that intervention um and i just thought that was really interesting you know so i was wondering you know like is it the movements is it the rhythm is it something else like what is it so i was interested in that and then when i had the opportunity to do this study i was like well i might as well do that and think about How do these motor movements, how do the, does the rhythm kind of work and is it actually having an effect or am I just thinking that it has an effect? Um, So yeah, so that's where it started. So I did some research. I found some really promising research on rhythm and how it affects the brain, music and how it affects the brain, and also movement in how it affects the brain. And there's really only two things that activate this, the number of areas in the brain. Um, like the, how what am I trying to say? Like the, the thing that activates the brain the most is music. More areas of the brain are activated by music than any other thing. The second most is movement. So basically like music and phys ed class are the most important for any person or any child, because we need that music and we need that movement. And those two things have the most global activation in the brain. So I had already known that, you know, I I knew that that was kind of going on in the brain. My, my program is really heavily focused on neurology and kind of the way that the brain works. So, you know, I'd already... I already had some experience in that, but what I found was that, you know, these kinds of um, rhythmic programs it just increase cognition. They in- increase um, cog- like executive functioning skills, um, and that goes for the rhythm, the movement, and the music. So to me, it was kind of like, well, duh, of course this works, like <laughs> duh. So yeah, so that's where like. I found the research going so I was like yeah the research kind of like supports me in a super logical way like logically it should work so I um, created the intervention and I created the intervention in a super like music therapy like super logical way so I said okay we'll start at the feet we'll move all the way up and then we'll move all the way back down the body with movements. And the melodic contour will be ascending and then descending so that the participants will have a clear indicator of the next movement coming, but also kind of like where they are in the movement. Like, are they halfway? Are they almost to the end? Kind of where are they? So this is, it's super simple, but this is what I came up with. Stomp your feet, stomp your feet, stomp your feet, stomp your feet. Eat. clap your hands clap your hands clap your hands clap your hands really easy um, so that's what our the intervention was and then the control I also created and I just set out to make a cute song that was not intentional so my not intentional song was kind of confusing um but that's just kind of the way that it happened um but it was very much like a typical like traditional kind of movement song that you'd hear and it goes reach 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 and clap 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 reach 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 and clap 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 reach reach clap clap reach reach clap clap and then I would say and stop and then we'd go on to the next movement um And what I found was that, well, so actually, let me go back a little bit. So for our um, assessment, I did a pretest, post-intervention test, and a post-control test. So I had 12 participants, everybody did the control, and everybody did the intervention, um, although half of them did the intervention first, and half of them did the control first. So I wanted to make sure I had those counterbalances in there, to make sure that my findings were accurate. So I did the Stroop effect. Do you know the Stroop effect?
0: Go ahead and explain it for anyone listening.
1: Okay, it's kind of, it's hard to explain. So it's basically color words. So you might see like green, yellow, blue, but the color words are all colored different ways. So although it might say green, it might actually be colored blue so then you have to say what the color of the text is and not what the text actually says Um, and that really tests your ability to weed out unnecessary information because what the actual word is is the unnecessary information and the color of the word is the important information and those are that's cognition that's executive functioning skills um, that's all of those things that you're that you're working on when you use the Stroop effect. Um, so everybody read 10 words, and it would take about um, like 10 seconds on average for people to do the pretest. For the post-intervention test, it took about two seconds less, so about eight seconds to do the post test. And then when people did the control test. Very often, they would do just as well as the pretest, or they would do worse than the pretest. So it would take them longer to do it, no matter if they did the control first or the control second or whatever. So, what I really showed um, was that the music therapy intervention improved cognition and decreased. Um, Cognition time or what's the word? I'm looking for like processing time. Yes processing time. That's exactly it So it decreased processing time by two seconds um, but if you're talking about only 10 seconds, that's 20% percent hmm So I was able to increase processing time for my participants by 20% um And that only applied to the music therapy intervention. It did not work the same way with the um, control. So, like, what? That was amazing. I was so excited to see that.
0: And, go ahead.
1: Oh, yeah, no, well, so my professor is Dr. Lagasse, who is, um, she is officially the editor now of the Music Therapy Journal. And I, like, lost my mind because when she she gave me feedback for my final report. She says, this is very interesting. This is a very small study and I did not expect that you'd get any results. So I was like, what? Dr. Lagasse thinks that this is interesting and was unex- like, did not expect this? Like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Yeah, it was really, really awesome. So yeah, it's promising.
0: Yeah, I look forward to seeing more of that, more research on specifically that, but I'm super glad that this is recorded and anyone listening to it has your explanation and also a little yes. clip of the interventions because I think for anyone walking into a music therapy session, and even a music therapist possibly could see either of those interventions and not entirely understand the difference that they have on the clients.
1: hmm Yeah. And and the amazing thing was that I talked to all of my participants after. And, you know, this wasn't like crazy, like crazy rigorous. It was just like a class assignment, although (laughs) class assignment that took me all semester. (laughs) But, But still, like this isn't it's unfortunately it won't be able to be published in any journals, although maybe this is my pilot study. Who knows? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I
0: say, go for it. Cause yeah, obviously you have something. Yeah.
1: Right. I know. Like, what? Wow, so powerful. So, so, but I kind of talked to everybody and everybody wanted to know their results. Everybody wanted to know. And when I talked to them about it, they said, yeah, the music therapy intervention. Well, actually everybody thought that the control was the music therapy intervention. Oh, interesting. And when I, and I said, why they said, well, because it was more complicated I figured that if it was more complicated, then that was the therapy because it would be harder. And I was like, interesting. But what they reported was that the control intervention was less predictable and they felt nervous on edge and basically had heightened anxiety while they were participating in the control because they did not know what to expect when they were participating in the music therapy intervention, it was very organized. They knew exactly what was coming next, and they had musical cues to tell them. You know, and obviously my my participants weren't saying it like that. They were saying, like, well, I could tell every time the music went back down, then that's how I knew I was going on to something else. Mm -hmm. So they reported that they were able to, you know, focus on the movements and you know kind of just follow along and they didn't have that anxiety and it it really made me wonder like what also what what aspect or what role that plays in my research as well it's like maybe a lowered anxiety like state of anxiety also increases people's ability to basically think clearer and I feel like you know as humans we all i kind of know that and I haven't done research on any of that stuff but coming from my own you know personal experience I can say that yes a lowered state of anxiety definitely allows me to work better so that's you know I don't know it's just like another interesting layer to me like an interesting layer to all of this stuff because then it's like well you know maybe a lot I mean a lot of My kids that I work with have anxiety. Um, A lot of humans have anxiety. um, But we've also got these powerful musical tools. We've got steady rhythms. We've got all these musical cues that we can do. We've got, you know, instruments on our own bodies that we can utilize. So, yeah, I feel like it's like um, peeling back the layers. Like there's just so much that I could kind of dive into here. So it's interesting though. It's exciting.
0: Yeah, and all the thought you put into the actual intervention about the rhythm and the way the melody moved and everything. Those are important things for us to keep in mind when we're designing our own interventions. And now we have evidence that of, of how specifically important those things are and how effective they are. Right, right. And
1: I mean, my thing is that yeah, my my music therapy intervention that I created was completely straightforward it was simple. It does the job. It's thoughtful. And it took me 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't take a lot of time, especially when we have all of this training. You know, we have all this training for a reason. And that's why, you know, not just anybody can go and do music therapy. And that's what we need to show people and demonstrate.
0: The most uh, recent episode that came out of this podcast was about advocacy. And mm-hmm. this is a great example of why a music therapist, it's so important to have a music therapist
1: Yeah, for yeah. doing,
0: even if it was a music therapist, you record this song and you put it out into the universe. Um, but there's, there's so much intention behind mm-hmm. what you've created that someone with different training would create something with a different intention, but it wouldn't achieve the same thing.
1: Right, exactly. And like, that's really I mean, to me, that's the biggest difference. And I do a bunch of um, music enrichment classes. And that's kind of like one of the selling points that, you know, we use to sell these music enrichment classes is like, this isn't just a music class. This isn't just fun with your kid. This is so good for their brains. And I use a lot of the same songs that I do for my music therapy sessions in my music enrichment classes. Really the only difference is that I'm not tracking goals and I'm not writing goals, but I know the age group that I'm working with. I know the the skills, you know, thinking from a developmental level what's appropriate for them. And then that's what I do, but because I'm using my music therapy songs, the te- intention is still there. I'm just doing it with kids who don't need me to write a progress note about them. You know, it's Mm -hmm. just kind of like, let's go in, let's have fun. Like let's play stop and go on the lollipop drums and then let's play with some scarves and then, you know, that's it. But it's still the intention. So, you know, even kinds of like things like that, like music enrichment classes. I mean, I think music therapists should be doing all of them because we have so much to offer. We have so, and so many kids in the United States participate in these kind of community programs You know, so many moms bring their kids to enrichment programs. It's kind of like, you know, let's kind of squeeze as much as we can out. We can make it affordable. We can make it enriching. We can make it so, so beneficial. Um, Yeah. And we can make it intentional.
0: Yeah, well said. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, from my perspective, I know some people are super into – Documenting and data and those those kinds of things that's personally not my jam. <laughs> so the idea yeah. of being able to lead basically a music therapy session, but an enrichment session, and do all the fun things and put the thought into it and know that you're doing great work, but not necessarily have to write a progress note regularly. <laughs> mm-hmm. That sounds like the best of all worlds to me.
1: Oh, honestly, it's my favorite thing. If I could do music enrichment groups every day, all day, I I honestly would. Like I would, and I. I love seeing my clients progress and yes, data shows that yes, progress notes notes show that, but what really shows it is what's happening in the session, Mm -hmm. you know, seeing how my clients are reacting in the sessions. um, That's where the progress actually happens. And if I'm concentrated on taking data, I'm not in the moment with my client just in awe of their progress.
0: Yeah. I mean,
1: well said. Yeah. Like to me, it's so important. And, um, a few, a few weeks ago, one of my clients, this wasn't really like a goal of his or anything like this, but he, he just did something totally amazing. And I, and I just thought to myself two years ago, this never would have happened. And in this case, this particular child I had given him an object for a certain amount of time because it was very motivating. And he gave this object back to me before the timer went off. And he said, here you go. No fight, no procrastination, no anything. And I, I'm pretty sure my jaw fell on the floor, but I was like, what? Like, But if I was kind of, like, focused on other things, I might have missed that moment. You know, and I always have my, I have an, an Apple Watch, so I'm always, like, I have my timers right on my watch so my kids can see them, I can see them, and I can feel it. So he wasn't even looking. He had no idea. And it was just, like, one of those moments where I was like, damn, this is, like, such a cool job, and it's so cool that I get to witness these moments and that I'm able to help my clients reach their goals in in this awesome way in in a way that they don't even realize is really work so yeah yeah, it's just amazing
0: um I'm not sure if that was his goal but I think that's also significant to note that sometimes we are so focused on today I need to do these three interventions to address Mm -hmm. these three goals and the client just isn't having one or two of those maybe all three so We are adaptable, so when you adapt and you give them another opportunity to Mm -hmm. reach a different milestone, it's just Mm -hmm. as important.
1: Right, and there's so many things that are really hard to properly document and properly word, and I feel like executive functioning skills, social skills, so many of those super, super important things are really hard um, to document, but to me, like... A lot of those things, like a lot of these moments that happen in in sessions, especially because my caseload is primarily, um, kiddos who are on the spectrum. There's so many of those like executive functioning skills where it's, where I think to myself that took planning, you know, whatever that child did took planning. And that's not one of his goals, but OMG, he couldn't do that, you know, a year ago, um, Yeah. And, and there's a lot of those things I feel like that are super, super hard to document and properly explain until after they happen. Um, yeah. And I feel like that's a great, you know, giving, giving something back before your time is up for a preferred activity. That's a great example of like, of planning of just being able to be like, you know, and social skills too. Like, I know that it will make Miss Keisha upset if I don't give this back after the timer or Miss Keisha will bring out her stern voice if I don't pass this back after the timer goes off. So I can avoid that by giving it back to her early Um, and maybe next week I'll get more time with the iPad um, or, you know, whatever the object is, the drum, the, you know, strumming the guitar um, yeah. So yeah, there's like all these super important things that, you know, you can't necessarily always document. Like, I mean, I had a client once where I was documenting, like, I think, what was it? It was like happiness or quality of life. Yeah. How do you document quality of life? And so I emailed my, my boss and I was like, how do I do this? And he was like, don't be so literal just like relax. And I was like, I can't relax. That's not how I work. Um, and I decided to just track smiles and how many times does this client smile in a session? And that was how I, I, I satisfied my own needs for numbers and clear parameters, but also my client's needs. Um, and my boss's request to calm down and chill out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't think that's a terrible request to get from a a boss.
1: (laughs) Right. I know. Right. Well, and that's the thing is that uh, I'm such a hard worker and I always think that I'm a slacker and my bosses constantly are like, you do not have to work this hard. And I'm just like, you don't understand. I do, though. I do. I have to. (laughs) Mm So, yeah, it's always nice to hear when your boss is like, yeah, you don't have to be this crazy. Like you can you can calm down. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you you
0: <laughs> are a hard worker. Um, Thank you. And We could probably about even just the things you've done in the past six months, we could probably have like four or five episodes worth of <laughs> yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, do you want to tell us about your other study or would you like to move into something else? Totally up to you.
1: Um, Yeah. Real quick. There's only a few things. It doesn't so, have to be
0: quick. You can take your time. Yeah.
1: Well, so my other study was about music therapy and inclusion. And that really came out of my experience with my music enrichment classes, because a lot of times um, I'll have special needs kiddos um, and typical kiddos all together, um, which is super fun. And a lot of times what's even so awesome and so sweet is that kids with special needs and their siblings who are typical will come to my classes Um, and that, that's just really cool to see them interact and, and learn how to interact with each other, um, through music. So I just was, you know, interested in music therapy and its role in inclusion. And I think music therapy has a very clear role in inclusion, um, primarily with preschool programming, um. Research shows that uh, children who receive high-quality preschool programs experience um, better life outcomes. They cost school districts less money over the course of their education. They have higher rates of higher education, um, higher rates of, or higher lifetime income earning potential, lower rates of incarceration, all these kinds of things. so when kids participate in these high program or these high quality music or uh, high quality preschool programs, um, they experience all of these wonderful things. Plus, they're costing our society less by, you know, costing school districts less and costing our prison systems less. These are all things that we should be invested in. And on top of that, music therapy has been proven to improve pre reading skills to improve um, transitions in preschool classes. It's there's so many things I could really go on, um, but the list is way too long, but basically music therapy rocks and it's really great for young children um, of any functioning level. So, yeah. So I really think like front load services at the beginning of a child's education so that they cost our society less overall and it's it, To me, that's like very cold and heartless, but at some point you kind of have to just go where the money goes. And I think for a lot of um, school districts and a lot of music therapists, if we can kind of take that angle and say, hey, look, you know, you can save yourself money by adding this service. So, yeah, it's going to be a few thousand dollars uh, for a school year to include music therapy in your preschools and your kindergarten classes, but look at the outcomes. And when your school has higher rates of kids going to college or lower rates of kids having detentions and suspensions and all of these things, you can now say like, well, look at all of these things that we do for our students and how well they're doing. And part of that is a music therapy component. And, You know, like I said, it's kind of cruel and heartless, but if we go where the money goes, um, we could end up being really successful in incorporating music therapy into all of these early childhood programs.
0: Yeah. So. Lost my train of thought. (laughs) I was just all really good. I feel like that's. um, You have a lot of good advocacy points. That you're yeah. stating, yeah. yeah, 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 that are well. Awesome. It's
1: it's advocacy, but it's also like, hey, look, this is logical for everybody, mm-hmm. and it's it's great that music therapy is awesome. That's awesome. It's so great. It's a great profession. <laughs> we all know it, but at a certain level, we have to appeal to our whoever our clientele is. We have to encourage people to buy into our service. And I think, like, hey, we can save you money. Like, we can improve these outcomes. And it's so silly. It's ridiculous. Like, um, I mean, this is my personal opinion, is that people have a hard time investing a lot of money in social programs. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't make anybody any money, these kinds of social programs. Um, But they're there is potential for saving money. And that's something that people are invested in. Um, and if we can just kind of like play into that, because people don't necessarily want to invest money into all of these other services and all these other, other things. So yeah, it's it's hard to like, you know, I it's hard to explain where I'm coming from, but it, I don't know, it just, it all makes sense to me. Yeah, I get what you're sense. saying. Yeah, like it all goes together and like we can advocate and do the best for our our clients and our our communities. And at the same time, we can also provide a service that will help school districts in a financial sense.
0: Yeah, I think that's something that we don't talk about a ton as a profession, and that's a great big picture explanation for why music therapy is so important because when people ask us um, from my personal experience, when I'm asked or when I listen to someone else answer, why, why music therapy, why is it important? Why do we do it? Blah, blah, blah. It's easy to say, you know, the client does this. And obviously we focus on the client a lot, but to be able to provide that bigger picture um, and for the people who need the numbers to get them on board That's a great example of why music therapy is so important.
1: Right, exactly. And um, I'm definitely kind of like a big picture thinker when it comes to music therapy. Um, This past November, I just completed my neurologic music therapy training. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Talk about like more hard work. (laughs) Like On top of all this other stuff, I'm like, I'm going to go do this training. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so I did that. But the reason that I'm so passionate about neurologic music therapy isn't necessarily all of the principles. I don't really use a lot of that stuff, although it's always kind of in the back of my mind and in the way that I work, but it's really about the research. You know, like neurologic music therapy has some really, really great research, and it's quantitative. It's got the numbers, and numbers are where it's at, and that's unfortunate. That people can't look at like, wow, look at what we're doing for these people in hospice care or in nursing homes or whatever. But numbers are so powerful in our society and we have to appeal to society. Um, Yeah, so I guess I am a big picture thinker when it comes to this kind of stuff, because I want everybody, I want all music therapists to be successful and to make money so that we can live and I've seen way too many conversations about music therapists who say, I'm not paid high enough. Like, mm-hmm. I I can't support my family. Like, my, my spouse always has to be the breadwinner. Or, you know, like, I'm in my mid-30s and I still have to share an apartment with a roommate or whatever. And it's just like, we shouldn't have to do this. We should be able to live comfortable lives um, doing this amazing job that we do. And yeah, like we've got to kind of chase the numbers and go after these things that appeal to those who are maybe not as sensitive and not as invested in, um, quality of life and that kind of stuff, because we need to get off the ground. And then once we get off the ground and we start, you know, kind of living more comfortably, being able to pay off our student loans in a reasonable reasonable <laughs> amount of time, then we can kind of say, hey, look, we know that it works for these other things. Now we really want to focus on the things that make us as music therapists happy. That And that's quality of life. And that's, you know, listening to people talk about their feelings and drumming their, you know, like drumming their sorrows out and that kind of stuff, because it's all valid. But it's not all important to everybody,
0: yeah. Um I think as a profession we're a, we're kind of a specific breed. You know, there's yes. there's different aspects of music therapy. Yes. There's the research and being a professor and um mm-hmm. being a clinician and there's a bunch of different populations, but as a whole the word sensitive really stuck out in what you said and it's true that as a profession we are kind of a sensitive commodity and mm-hmm. it's it's mm-hmm. sometimes difficult to communicate with the person who's delegating where money goes for the year. Yep. And, you know, okay, well, it could go to you, sensitive music therapist, or it could go to a different thing that we already know is backed by, not that music therapy is not backed by research, but it goes to this other thing that is recognized more significantly right now.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's kind of where we have to be a little bit, we have to shout our worth. You know, it's kind of like, and I started doing this a few years ago. And, um, what I started doing was that in sessions to staff members, I will often explain exactly what we're doing and exactly why we're doing it. Yeah. And, um, I think that's important that, you know, they understand that this is why we're doing it and that these are the goals and objectives we're working on when we do it. So
0: I think it's also especially with your your first um, study, your intervention mm-hmm. if there's yeah. a day where music therapy the music therapist doesn't come that day in class mm-hmm. or whatever setting and the group is having difficulty attending um, the cognition is blocked they can very easily uh recreate that intervention they can mm-hmm. easily sing that song it's memorable, mm-hmm. it's simple. Yep. It's effective. And of course it's better if you're there to do it. But if you're not there, the, the teachers know what the tool is and how to use it.
1: Yes. And so for my research study, I actually did record the interventions so that there was consistency while I was doing the the study. But that was a huge part about my role my um my independent study about the role of music therapy and inclusion was that we can create resources in conjunction with teachers and speech language pathologists and OTs and all these other people. And we can create singable social stories and we can even record them so that when it's time to go from snack time to circle time, they can play this song so that the typical children and the children who have special needs can all still be in the same classroom But the children with special needs are are more supported and they've got the supports that they have. But it also is really great for the for the the typical kiddos, too. Like they still benefit from those things. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, like, why can't music therapists consult with classroom teachers and why can't they create these songs and then record them Or provide resources for these teachers and then incorporate these things into the daily routine of the classroom. And, like, yeah, it's great if you can have a music therapist in there once a week, twice a week, maybe even three times. Every day. That would be crazy, right? Every day, music therapy, every day. But if we can at least provide You know, transition songs, social story songs, all these kinds of things, songs to help get our our cognitive abilities up and running again. Like, that's really powerful in a different way than, you know, strapping your guitar on your back and walking into a classroom with a bag full of maracas. Mm -hmm. You know, it's still music therapy and it's still music with intention But it's kind of like making it work so that it's the most functional for everybody. Yeah.
0: And it encourages the clients to use the skills they learn in music therapy across the board.
1: Right. Exactly. And that's that generalization piece, which for so many kids is the hardest thing. And yeah, like, I mean, generalization in, in general is just so difficult. But it's like if you're practicing it throughout the day in different settings, you're increasing the likelihood that they'll be able to even generalize those skills.
0: Yeah, that's kind of a good segue. Um, Tell us about your experience at Adams Camp with interdisciplinary work. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So um, for the past two years, so this will be my third year this year, I've been um, a music therapist at Adams Camp, New England. So I've done two in Loon Mountain and one in Nantucket and it's about a week until I go to my next Nantucket Adams camp awesome and yeah being a music therapist at a special needs summer camp is so freaking fun and crazy and insane and hard and I could probably like go on with all these different adjectives but the cool thing about it is that I am working with other um, therapists. So I will be working with an SLP, OT, PT, and a special educator. Um, and Adams Camp in particular is a five camper, five therapist, five day model. And then at the end of the week, we present a one hour. Um, it's kind of like a mini IEP It's like we choose two or three goals that we're going to work on for each client, usually chosen by the parent. We create the goals in the week um, and then track them throughout the week and then kind of say, you know, what was their progress over the week? Um, Which is like totally insane that we do that, but it works like it works. It's crazy. Um, So then we get, you know, we present on the on the kiddos on the last day and we do all kinds of traditional camp activities we go to the beach we go to puppet shows we go to water parks we go hiking like we do all these things but we're incorporating all of these other therapies into these activities um yeah and like how do you do music therapy in that kind of setting like how do you do music therapy on the beach well, <laughs> there's so like there's so many things that are going on when you're at the beach. You've got two kids in the water, you've got two kids on the picnic table, you got one kid who's wildly applying sun lotion and you know like you're trying to shove down like your sandy peanut butter and jelly sandwich like in 5 minutes while while all the all these things are happening and then you've got a kid who starts to disengage. And maybe puts his head down on the table and won't respond to verbal cues, won't respond to any kind of physical cues, um, totally just disengaged. But you've got that music therapist and that music therapist happens to have her phone and her speaker. And that music therapist happens to know that client's favorite songs and you start to play that favorite song, a recording, and everybody starts singing along. And maybe you even play that song twice. Slowly you'll see the client maybe pick their head up again, start singing along, and then all of a sudden they're engaged. And really that's what Adam's Camp is all about, is being flexible and figuring out like, how do I do my job, but in a non-traditional way? Um, one of the amazing things we did last year with the teens, um, was that we created a song, um, and this song detailed our daily activities. So one of the things that the parents had mentioned to us, like on the first or second day was that when the kids come home, they can't tell them what they did at, at camp. You know, so mom says, Oh, what did you do today at camp? And then they say, I don't know. Or, oh, I can't remember. So what can we do that will help them remember what they did at camp so that at the end of the week they'll remember, but also at the end of the day they can just go home and tell their parents. So we created a song where they literally sequenced what they did um, and it was really simple. It was like, today we went to mini golf and then we swam in the pool. And then on Tuesday we got to ride on the train and it was like super simple stuff like that and to incorporate OT and PT into it. We created dance moves, um, to match. So the speech language pathologist helped them recall the information initially every day. Then as a group, we would all create the lyrics and figure out how is it going to fit into the song and then we would create movements to match. And then at the end of the week, we performed this song for the parents. Um, Yeah, so we literally included all therapy modalities into this one song. And it was just so cool, but it was like a non-traditional, but also very typical way to use music therapy. You know, like I use music therapy for social stories all the time. So that was, you know, kind of like that. But it was just this spur of the moment thing where it was like, hey, well, what if we did this? And then the, you know, the speech, the speech um, path was like, oh, well, like, I can do this. And then I can work on the speech with them. And I know that so-and-so really needs to work on this, this particular skill. And then the PT might say, and you know what, so-and-so really needs to work on balancing. So what if we did a move? that was balancing in the song. So it's just like all these things and that's like, yeah, it's just, but it's like amazing to go through that process and kind of see like how it all comes together and how you can just kind of like adapt music therapy to really just be anything, you know?
0: Yeah. And that's um, a really beautiful, beautiful for the clients, first of all, but yes, a beautiful expander for you any professional to use music therapy in an untraditional way and also have the support of those other therapists all the time. Uh, Cause I was initially thinking, Oh, like, you know, they would transition from an OT session to a music therapy session to a speech session. I wasn't thinking like, Oh, you'd be out in the community doing therapy. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there, there's so many great examples I can think of. Um, one example that I love from my first year. Well, so actually this story kind of goes back a little bit longer than that. I had a kiddo who I worked with who really needed to work on washing his hands, but he was a teenager. And the washing, like the hand washing songs that are out there are for little kids. Mm -hmm. And I'm a huge advocate of the music has to be respectful of the client, always. It always has to be respectful of the client. so I was like, no, I'm not going to use a kid's song, even if it's like Frere Jaca or something like that. I'm not going to do that. So I took his favorite, one of his favorite songs from a band that he loved, and I wrote a hand-washing song to match it, a perfectly timed hand-washing song. You know, so it kind of, it it let him know exactly how long he should be scrubbing his hands, when it's time to put the soap on his hands, he scrubs his palms, scrubs his nails, scrubs the back of his hands, dries his hands, all that stuff. So when I was at Adam's camp, there was another teenager who also needed to work on this skill. So we were at some public bathroom somewhere and I was with this with this kid and I just started singing it. And he started doing the moves along. And then... Um, you know, five, five days is a really short amount of time to like become proficient at washing your hands. Yeah. But then I was able to provide resources for the parents and I provided a track and the lyrics for this song for the parents so that they would be able to take it into their everyday lives. I don't really know if they ever followed up on it, but at least I was able to provide them with those things. But like, You should have seen the looks in the men's bathroom when I walked in (laughs) (laughs) and started singing this song like I don't even remember where we are. We were at like some park and like singing a song about washing our hands. And fortunately, everybody was like, you know, chill, especially when they see that you're with, you know, uh, somebody who has special needs. I feel like they're much more lenient. Uh, towards you, and they don't give you strange looks. Mm-hmm. The strange looks come when you start to sing, <laughs> and then they're like, they're like, "Who is this crazy tiny lady, mm-hmm. and why is she singing to this boy?" Yep.
0: Then it becomes an advocacy situation, right? You're like,
1: <laughs> right, exactly. For your button, I'm a music therapist. <laughs> right. And my fiance got me a shirt that says "Best Music Therapist Ever." So he's pretty I- accurate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, stop it! But I really feel like maybe I should just get them for like the whole. Adam's camp team so that whenever we're out in public people will see like oh they're a music therapist or mm-hmm. oh they're a whatever and then they'll be like they'll they'll give us less perplexing looks so yeah yeah yep. <laughs> awesome
0: that sounds like such a beautiful program
1: yeah, yeah it really is and it's yeah it's really fun it's really fun so
0: great are you ready to move into some rapid fire questions? Yes, rapid fire. Let's do it. All righty. The questions are short. Your answers don't have to be. Okay. Coffee or tea? Coffee. I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> you know what,
1: though? I stopped drinking coffee, and now I just do, like, pure caffeine um, in the form of energy gummies. Um, Interesting. And yeah. Yeah, because ca- coffee and I don't always love each other, but...
0: How I mean, often do you have those energy gummies? Because you are, honestly, sometimes in my brain, I picture you as the energizer bunny. <laughs> so, so how often are you fueling up on those? Once a day. Wow. In the
1: time. And it's the same amount of energy as like a traditional like eight ounce cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just my personality that I'm just like, yeah. I'm like super energetic. So
0: nothing yeah. wrong with that, especially when you're working with the littles.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, they they love it. So they feed off of it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Early bird or night owl? Night owl.
1: I'm a super night owl.
0: Something you would tell your younger self.
1: Um, this probably applies to my current self too. Chill the f out. <laughs> chill
0: just chill out. <laughs> Good thing your boss told you that too. So, you know, from like your superior.
1: Everybody's like, you're going to give yourself a heart attack. Just chill. I can't. It's not within my nature, but I'm trying. I'm trying to chill.
0: Everyone's balance is different. (laughs) That's true. That goes into this next one. Your favorite self-care practice. My
1: favorite self-care practice is probably um, doing my nails. I'm a little bit obsessive with my nails. Um, they're a perfect square oval shape called a squoval. Um, I do gel gel nail polish. Um, I take care of my cuticles. Usually a few times a week, I'll put some like cuticle cream on them, and I'll just clean my hands up. And well, especially now that I'm engaged, I have this beautiful ring to look at. <laughs> so it's always nice. I'll just be like, oh, look at my hands look so pretty. But it's just so nice to me and it's kind of meditative um, to just like swipe the nail polish over my fingernails and make it really smooth and shiny and it's, yeah, it's super meditative for me.
0: Awesome. Everyone should have a practice like that. That's you know... Yeah,
1: it's like my knitting. Like... <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So I'm assuming you don't knit?
1: <laughs> no, no, I'm never, I've never been a knitter um, and I'm not, I don't really care to be a knitter. But I do love to do nail polish. And, yeah, I have, like, every shade of, like, blush and, like, neutral, neutral, like, purple, neutral pink, neutral blue. Yeah, so I've got them all.
0: (laughs) Your music therapy elevator speech.
1: Music therapy is the practice of using music to achieve non-musical goals, such as communication, behavior, social skills, all those kinds of things. And I just use music as the way to get there. And that's really, that's really all I say. And then, you know, sometimes I give some examples and I always smile when I say it.
0: <laughs> True. Sometimes that's hard. You know, in like, all honesty
1: somebody's kind of like being a dick about it and they're like well what what's music therapy is that like you know singing to people to make them feel better and it's like no yeah, mm.
0: yeah. <laughs> the the podcast is marked explicit so you're okay <laughs> <laughs> i
1: this. i saw that in your in your like uh guest speaker notes or yeah. or whatever you had it titled as i was like okay okay <laughs>
0: yeah um Something that's currently adding value to your life?
1: Oh, something that's currently adding value to my life. Um, You know what? I've been really into making sure that I eat healthier. Um, And I, I love fruit. I just love fruit. But I haven't always been super on the vegetable train, so I'm trying to, like, eat more vegetables, and and people kind of give me funny looks. Like, today I was in a session, and I didn't have time for a snack, so I just brought out my, cha- like, container of cherry tomatoes and just started, like, eating them, and people were giving me, str- like, kind of strange looks, but I was just like, yes, this is so good, and, like, it feels good. I don't have to feel guilty about it. And it's just so, like, yummy. Um, So I feel like vegetables are adding a lot of value to my life right now.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. I feel um, dietary changes are often Mm -hmm. overlooked for self-care or adding value, whatever you want to say. It's easy. Go ahead. Yeah, well,
1: and basically, like, when I really finished my grad school semester, that's what I did, Mm -hmm. was that I changed. In my life, my personal life has been a little bit crazy the past like six months and as a therapist, you know, we, we know all these things and, you know, we think all these things and, and I felt like my life was a little bit out of control, you know, like nothing, there's so many things that you can't control in your day-to-day life. And I just thought to myself, what is one thing that I can control in a safe way that will give me my power back? And that's what I thought of was like, I can make better food choices and that will be, you know, a certain level of control that I have over my life. Um, that is purely mine, you know, like that is something that I can really do for me. And especially with all the traveling I do for my, for our my work, I feel like I got into really bad habits as a young professional because it was just like, I was just so overwhelmed. And now that I'm kind of like in this really good spot of, I know what I'm doing. I was, you know, done with my semester. It was kind of like, this is the time. And it's, it's one year away from my wedding too. So that plays into it as well. So, so it was like, this is the time to really take control. And I, I want to get back to more healthy habits. And I've been working on it for a few years. You know, and I always make my, my fruit and veggie smoothies in the morning and my mornings were always great, but it was always like the middle and the end of the day that I kind of lost it. And I feel like I'm back on the train. So the veggie train, the veggie train. So, but it just makes me feel good physically, but also mentally, exactly like you said, like it is a certain level of self-care where it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing good stuff for my body too. And, and my mind. And it's, it's good.
0: Food is empowering.
1: Yes, it is. And it's so good. Like, it's so good. And, you know, people talk about, like, how good junk food is. But, like, how good are, like, fruits and vegetables? You know, like, I will do anything for a cucumber with a little bit of salt and pepper on it. Like, oh, so good.
0: Good for yeah. you. <laughs> awesome. We'll have to have, like, Acacia's recipes on the go. <laughs>
1: Yes. Oh my gosh. I have so many good ones. Um, my fiance is also now on the healthy train. And one of our favorites right now is, um, whole wheat wraps with hummus and veggies and some turkey, like just like deli turkey. And usually I have mine with like a side of, of cucumbers and carrots or, or tomatoes. And it's so good. And it's so good for you. And like, You know, everything in moderation, but that little tiny bit of hummus just gives it like a flavor kick. And we really love Chipotle hummus Mm -hmm. right now. So, and you don't need that much to really, to really kind of make it less bland flavored. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. I love that.
0: Your favorite intervention or song to use in a session?
1: This probably won't come to a surprise uh, or surprise anybody, but um, seated movement interventions are my favorite thing ever. So I've got quite a few of them, some seasonal now, like some seasonal ones. um, But I really love Move to the Beat by Stephanie Level and the warm-up song by Rachel Rambach. Um, And I know you know that I do some uh, content creation for Rachel um, and that's a song that I stumbled upon while I was working. And it's so cute and my kids love it. And it's, it's really simple, it uh, goes like this. It's time for the warm up song. Everybody join along. When we feel like we're moving slow, we got a warm up ready, let's go. And then I'll usually say like, now everybody stomp your feet. And then we, you know, do the verses and whatever. But my clients, even my really young ones, learned it so fast. And so the last week of sessions in the school districts, I kind of did like the greatest hits. And I actually, I wrote a blog about it. So if anybody's on um, Listen and Learn, you'll see that I wrote a blog. We'll link it. Oh, good. Yeah. So I did write a blog about my greatest hits. And I think the warm-up song is in there. But so I had, I said, let's do Move to the Beat. And then one of my little preschool clients said, no, 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 warm up song, warm up song. So I was like, okay, we can do the warm up song instead. Like, but they knew, like my clients knew that the warm up song and move to the beat are basically like the same, mm-hmm. except just different melodies. Yeah. Um, and it was so cute when they requested it and they just love it. And they all sing at the top of their lungs. And I mean, just children singing, ugh, so cute. So, so anything that my kids can like sing along to, but also really, really is like beneficial for them. Um, I love. So that's what I've been into. I used
0: that song today. <laughs> warm up song? Yeah, in my session. Oh my
1: gosh. It's so, and I don't know if you do, I do like warm up your face and I'll have them like scrunch up their face mm-hmm. or like warm, warm up their eyebrows. And why is it the cutest thing when children try to wiggle their eyebrows? <laughs> it's like the most social movement that I have done because they always kind of like look at people and they're like, am I doing it? Like, Oh my gosh. It's, it's so funny. I really do the eyebrows. When I say like wiggle your eyebrows, I do it mostly for me because it just makes me so happy. Um, (laughs) like that's me being selfish. It's like, I want to see them wiggle their eyebrows because it makes me
0: smile. (laughs) But it also, like you said, it has that social component, which is awesome.
1: It exactly like either looking at Looking at peers or looking at staff and like trying to do it and it's so cute, yeah. It is. It's a really great social interaction, an unexpected social interaction.
0: Yeah, awesome. Yeah. All right, where can listeners find you? Where what are you putting out into the world? All that kind of stuff.
1: So I guess you can find me at uh, Listen and Learn Music. I publish a weekly blog. Plus, I also write all of the, or most of, the facilitation guides for Listen and Learn Music. Oh, I didn't know that one. Yes, yes. So that's part of my job. So I have to come up with um, all of the goals and objectives that each song can target. I wrote this, write the steps to each songs, and I write the adaptations. Awesome. Um, yeah, so I do all of those um, behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, I, you can find me on my Facebook page for my performing duet, the King sisters, um, the King sisters in New Hampshire. And, um, I think that's about it right now. Um, but that's where you can find me. And of course, um, yeah, I'm sure you can always, I'll, Trisha, I'll give you my contact information. So if anybody wants to contact me, feel free. Cool. Cool.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you for talking to me today. Um, I feel really energized and like
1: oh, excited <laughs> about all the
0: things, even research. And I'm not super into research, but you have me all excited about it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Somebody said to me one time that I'm like one of those people that can sell you on anything. Um, and that's not such a bad thing, you know? <laughs> for sure. For sure. <laughs> if I can sell people on research, which a lot of people think is boring, then that's awesome. So Mm -hmm. I'm happy to hear that.
0: Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Absolutely. Thank you. You too. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast. I hope you got a lot out of that conversation with Keisha. And she is just so energetic. And I could talk to her forever about all these different things that you can tell she's so passionate about all these different avenues uh, that music therapy can take. A conversation about music therapy can take, whether it's advocacy, research, specific interventions, clients. Uh, interdisciplinary work, anything like that. So probably we'll have her back on the podcast again, honestly, because she has great things to say uh, in such a positive light on all of those things. So thank you again so much for listening to this episode. Leave us a review on iTunes. Check us out on social media at Music Therapy Chronicles. Uh, Join our group on Facebook to have your own conversation about what you're hearing on the podcast let us know what you think and yeah we'll see you in the next one